Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Long Talk, and we're going to be talking volleyball yet again. We're going to do it a bit differently this time because there's an awful lot of people in sport that are doing a lot of hard work to make those sports happen that we just don't know exist, we just never kind of hear from. Uh, And that's where we're going today. Um, I'm going to chat to the beach volleyball, sorry, no, a volleyball development um, manager. These are the people that uh, kind of make the game happen and work at the grassroots. So it's going to be fascinating to see that other side of it, not so much the professional side, but more the, well, I think it's going to be the grassroots side. Maybe he'll turn around and tell me actually, no, he runs a professional volleyball team in Auckland. We'll wait and see. Um, but um, welcome, David Keatley. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, good. Thanks Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Oh, absolute pleasure. I say it's, it's great to see the, the other side. It's great to talk about the other side of the sport. Um, it's not all just about those uh, big crowds listening to uh, pop music um, on the beach and uh, running around in swimwear and just diving in the sand, is it? No, it's not. It's very true. Is a, I mean, from a volleyball perspective, I think we're we're the fifth largest secondary school sport in the country and second largest for girls. So, you know, the grassroots is kind of our that's our our core market. Um, so yeah, it's definitely definitely not all about the beach and uh, the the. Uh, the atmosphere that you see at some of the beach events, we uh, we've got a pretty heavy focus on the grassroots. So, what uh, look, looking at your background on LinkedIn, uh, it hasn't been volleyball all your life. What was your first sporting experience? Well, I grew up loving sport. I mean, I can I can remember when you know when you when you hit high school and you start to think about a career. Mine was always I want to work in sport. So, sport's been something that I've I've loved. I played rugby, cricket, basketball tennis uh you name it pretty much growing up funnily enough not volleyball <laughs> uh, even, even though i went to a pretty well well-known volleyball school uh, it just wasn't a sport that appeals i know you probably yeah you can't see me right now but uh the stature at my stature is definitely not uh <laughs> affiliated with what you would expect a successful volleyball player to look like so potentially that's why i never uh, jumped in um but you know sport was just part of who i was growing up so a career in sport was something that i wanted to do and funnily enough the one thing I knew I didn't want to be was a PE teacher. So there was always, it was always sport, but not a PE teacher. Because I think that's probably the natural, 
if you want to work in sport, the natural tendency is to go, oh, we'll be a, I'll be a PE teacher. But for some reason, that didn't appeal to me. Um, so, yeah, it was always sport. Um, and that I, I just think, you know, being part of it, being part of teams and being part of uh, clubs and just that whole feeling you get of being part of something that's bigger than yourself, um, you can express yourself. I think just all of those feelings as a youngster made me go, this is something I want to be involved in for, for life. So, yeah. So it's um, a lot of people I talk to obviously have, have uh, sort of done rep rugby or, or been professional sports but at some point. Yet um, that's but that's not the route you took into this. You, you did you ever play sort of age grade or uh, any kind of sports food? For yeah, I mean, I was I was probably a better cricketer than any other sport. Um, I played for Central Districts uh, at age grade level. I think under fifteen. Um, played rugby. I grew up in Nelson, so played rugby. Um, for Nelson Bays up until like under 17. So, but I was, you know, to, if anybody's listening who I played rugby against or with, they would probably back up that I was definitely not the greatest rugby player. Defence wasn't my strength. <laughs> and if I if I had the ball in hand, great. If I was asked to make a tackle, um, yeah, probably look the other way. Um, but yeah, so so rugby and cricket and, and played, yeah, age grade representative stuff. But you know, that's that's definitely the highest level uh, I played. I played. I played. Um, Premier Rugby. My first job out of university was in Wanganui, so I was still playing rugby then, played Premier rug- Club Rugby in Wanganui. Um, and then uh, got into, co- like coaching I suppose would be my, my area of, of real passion and then kind of realised that if I wanted to really properly knuckle down into the coaching space, then I needed to commit time and energy to that and, and um, the time and energy to that trumped how interested and passionate I was about playing, so I hung up the boots and, and started to focus a bit more on, on the coaching side of things. Okay, but so yeah, you, you played a decent level of of, of, um, of sport then. I say getting yeah. into, uh, definitely more than me, which was basically third eleven or third fifteen <laughs> at school. Um, so right. yeah, that, so you, you've, um, you, you've 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 played a decent level, so you, you get to understand uh, kind of what it takes to get to at least those rep um, rep levels. Are you also another person that was um, middle of the night watching uh, test All Blacks test matches over in South Africa and Europe? Or yeah, or, definitely. So yeah. so. So sport and watching and being involved in watching sport was a big thing in your family. Definitely, yeah. I mean, my, one of my earliest memories I was I remember like it was an old NPC game, Otago versus Waikato on the TV. I can I can distinctly remember the the Waikato jerseys, you know, the the red, black, and yellow, and the Otago with the the gold hoops on the sleeves when Jeff Wilson and Stu Forster and some of those names were playing. So yeah, that was one of my my earliest memories. So yeah, my dad, in particular, massive sports fan. So I think that's kind of how I got the bug as well. There was always always sport on TV. So grew up in Nelson, moved up to to, to Wanganui, um, and as you say, uh, got involved in in in, in coaching, but um, also a sports development advisor. Um, yeah, yeah, that was the first job out of university. Yeah, so 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 got in, uh, involved with sport Wanganui there, uh, which was which was pretty cool. Uh, I, re- I really enjoyed that role. I was, there, I was only there for about 18, 19 months, I think, but it was really good fun. But you got involved. I mean, that that shows I mean, immediately shows that you, you were getting involved in a wide range of sports. I mean, you said you, you played a bit, but you said your relationship manager with yeah, with rugby, football, rowing, kayaking, wacker armor. I mean, a whole range of different um, different styles from I mean, uh, kayaking, solo sport, obviously mm-hmm. team sports there, water based, um, uh, land based. Uh, yeah, you, you you really got to try. You really got to dip your toe in the water, as it were, for for a number of things. Yeah, I mean that's the. I'm not sure how familiar you are with the the regional sports trust structure, 
in New Zealand, um, but Sport Wanganui is, is a regional sports trust. It's one of 14 in the country, um, and their role is, I guess, to support sport to happen in their region. So, so you know, the role that I had there within Sport Wanganui was to support some of those organisations that you just mentioned, and it was, you know, I, I don't know the first thing about kayaking, but, but what I do know about is how, you know, how sports can um, create different programs to attract different people into their sport or you know we we would help them with some coach development stuff so um do the, you know do the coaches need some help with how do they actually create a learning environment or um understanding the people that they're working with this is how you give feedback um or it could have been more from the government's governance perspective so working with them to set up policies and procedures to make sure that the sport was running as effectively as possible. So that was kind of, that's the role of the regional sports trusts around the country. Um, and I think anybody who wants a career in sport, I would highly recommend that that they should try and get a, a job at, for, at some stage in their career in the regional sports trust because it gives, it gives you such a good snapshot into the wider sports sector in New Zealand. You know, you're working with clubs, you're working with schools, you're working with regional sporting organizations you're working with national sporting organizations so it gives you kind of it gives you visibility over the whole sports sector and how it all kind of works and links together and and um then you can then you can kind of go well this is what i'm really interested in and try to i guess move move down that track but yeah regional sports trusts um, are, are a great place to start i think for people wanting to work in sport and then you decided uh to move up to uh, to, to auckland and uh, and join harbour sports to the uh the, the the big lights of the big smog the big city was this, <laughs> yeah i know really and uh, growing up in nelson i always had that um negative mindset around auckland and Aucklanders. so <laughs> in all honesty never thought i'd move there or live there um but have been there ever since well i had two years in dublin um but have lived in auckland since then um and love it so yeah that's no, it was really cool and that and that role with harbour sport uh, again an original sports trust but for the north harbour region of auckland um, was focused solely in, solely in coach development, which is, I guess, an area of, I really enjoy and am passionate about. So that was a, yeah, really, really enjoyed that role. I was there for about six years and I uh, loved it. So I moved from sort of helping sports as a whole down in Wanganui to, to, to just to working just with the coaches up, yep. in, up, in, um, up in Auckland. Uh, yep. Would this have been a period, we're joking, that's what we're talking about, yeah, 2011 to 2017. So this is, I guess, the knowledge at this point of, Getting getting kids uh, in particular to, to play multiple sports and to coach across multiple sports so that people develop more holistically and injury prevention uh, and all those sort of things as as, as as part of the coaching or is or, or is, is that kind of the stuff? Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was kind of two. Um, there were two key roles within that role. One one was kind of doing what you were saying. Is we would I would run workshops and run other kind of development opportunities for coaches. To come along and and you know we we called it the how to coach or the generic coaching skills that every coach needs, regardless of the sport that they're involved with. So there would be you know there'd be volleyball coaches at these workshops sitting next to a rowing coach, sitting next to a rugby coach, sitting next to an athletics coach, um, but the content was stuff that was relevant to them. So you like some of those topics I, I mentioned before, you know how to create a learning environment, how to give feedback, how to plan an effective session. Um, you know those types of things. How do you engage with teenagers? All of those things that people need to understand, regardless of the sport. So that was that was kind of one role. And then the second part of that role was more of a support capacity. So it, so you'd support um, whether it was North Harbour Rugby or Auckland Cricket uh, or North Harbour Basketball, some of those regional sporting organisations to help them 
uh, either redefine or review or shape their coast development structures for their own sport. So it might be, um, you know, North Harbour Rugby, just purely hypothetically, North Harbour Rugby thinking about uh, what can they do to better develop their secondary school coaches. So they would they would have engaged with me and I would have helped them go, well, you know, this is, this is the feedback we've got from other secondary school coaches in the region. These are some of the issues that they're facing. Um, these are some of the barriers to coaches um, maybe giving up time to be involved in some of these development opportunities. So based on that, we'd kind of help them shape a new idea or a project or, or review what they currently do um, to then go out and better engage with their coaches. So there was kind of that actual delivery space and then there was the support space uh, working with sports. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're working with grassroots coaches, which is what we're talking about here, aren't we? We're not talking about professional, we're not talking about Definitely, yeah, grassroots, coaches, yeah. Um, then a lot of them have day jobs, which must mean that you spend that you can't work nine till five because that's when they're working you can't actually act yep. you can't access them you can only work evenings and weekends um yep. the so yes what do you do during the weekend i guess yeah it, it's working with those organizations to get the to get the structures in place uh and then out of those outside those hours you actually work with coaches um as um, them, um, them themselves funny enough i'm actually talking to the uh, community guys at um Harbour Sports uh, this week to talk about how they're returning, to, how, how Club Rugby is returning to to, um, uh, oh, to, nice. to, to play um, yep. from this lockdown. Please. Then you mentioned, yeah, you went over and spent um, a couple of years in in Dublin. Uh, as you said, you didn't want to be a PE teacher, so you thought you'd go be a director of sport at a school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's quite fun. So the school was called the King's Hospital, which is... Um, a bizarre name for a school and when I applied for the job or when I first took the job my first thought was why is a hospital applying or, or putting out a role for a director of sport and then once I was clicked into it I realized it was a secondary school over there so uh, yeah um, myself and, and my wife um, were both pretty keen to to travel and to live overseas and, and do a bit of spend a bit of time in another culture um, so that that was it was a, it was a, probably not a story for this pod, uh, for this conversation, but um, it was an eight-month recruitment process into that role. <laughs> <laughs> it was incredibly frustrating and slow, but yeah, got got the role at the school there and spent two and a half years working as the director of sport there, um, which was which was really interesting. In my role at Harvest Sport, I'd worked a lot with secondary schools, but I'd never worked in one, um, so it gave me some really good insight into some of the challenges and opportunities that that there are in school sport um, and and also, you know, it was a great chance to be based in Europe and travel and, and kind of enjoy the lifestyle over there. Um, so, you know, it was, it was it was a cool experience. And the other bit that, 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 that I think that I find really interesting is so you've, you've worked on the playing side all the way through here and then you went and you, but over there you also worked as um, with Irish Tag Rugby uh, on the refereeing side. Um, which is a is a different side that we don't normally think about much uh, when we have these conversations. We're often talking about the players, uh, not that often about the actual referees. So, mm. um, is there a different mindset when dealing with referees? Uh, a different way of of, um, of working with them, or are they just again just volunteers like the coaches uh, and just uh, are just kind of ordinary people? Yeah, I mean they. <laughs> <laughs> They are, they are ordinary people, that's probably a good way to put it. Um, it I, I mean, the role, yeah, I would say there's not a lot, there's not a lot of difference there. It's um, they're volunteers or they're people who are passionate about sport, who have found a way to give back to that sport or be involved in that sport that, that suits their interests or suits their skill set. Um, 
and it's actually something that I'm sure most uh, sports in New Zealand would say they don't spend enough time on is how do we actually recruit and develop and support our referees and officials. Um, I know it's something with my volleyball New Zealand hat on, you know, it's something that we uh, know that we can do more of and, and, and do a better job in that space. Um, and because like you say, they are sometimes a little bit forgotten um, or, you know, they're, they're a little bit um, looked at, you know, you kind of look beyond them and, and just think that they're, they're there to support the game, but they actually need a lot of support and development as well. And there's there's a lot of similarities between the skills that referees need and the skills that coaches need as well, I think. You know, they need to be able to be good communicators. They need to be calm under pressure. Um, so there's a lot of links there um, for people who, who maybe work with coaches, sports, who have a lot of information around coaching. A lot of that can be transitioned to referees and, and their context relatively easily. Um, but yeah, that was so that was I was in that role for the first four months or so while I was in Dublin. Um, and, and again, hugely passionate group of people. Like they love the sport of tag rugby. Tag rugby is not big here at all. It's, it's kind of, tag rugby in Ireland is like touch rugby here. It's like the sport that people play in summer is a lot of social competitions and you just you, you know you make a team with your mates and you you join up at the local tag rugby module and you'll have a game and then you'll go for a pint at the pub after it's that kind of sport um but so there's people but the referees they're hugely passionate about it um and yeah it was, a, it was a really enjoyable role and being able to actually set up a couple of different ideas around how we could offer more support to those referees and help them get better in their role was was really valuable Okay, what's the difference between Ripper and Tag then? Is yeah, very similar. Okay, very similar. Yeah, same concept. You've got the you've got the two tags on your hips, and you yep. if you get one ripped off, that's effectively the touch. Yeah, so very similar um, okay. sport. Got, okay, so it is, it is it is the same sort of thing. It's not something so something different. Um, yeah. But I think again, what, what, I guess one one of the issues that um, that sports have, and perhaps uh, heading down down rabbit hole here, um, is that is this is that referees need to have independence from the playing side and hence that's quite often they're sectioned off so that they so that any kind of view of them being uh, so their impartiality is kept um, but unfortunately what that does is that also separates them from the playing community uh, to a certain degree uh, do you think there's perhaps a space there for a better integration of the of the officials and the playing communities within grassroots sports where guess what it's not for money it is for enjoyment at the end of the day yeah, definitely. Um, and I think all my experiences in grassroots sports, you know, if, if I when I put my coaching hat on within rugby, um, I think there's a willingness there from from some coaches and from some referees to to work closer together. Like we invited referees into some of our training sessions to help. The, you know, they would would set up a kind of mini game, and the referees would referee it. And even any time there was something that was a little bit um, contentious or maybe wasn't clear, then the referee would stop and talk to the players about why they ruled whatever, you know, the penalty the way they did. So it was a really valuable tool for our players to understand, okay, right, so I think I can do this, but this referee is saying I can't, so, I, you know, I need to adapt the way I do something. Um, and then even after games as well, we'd always try and have a beer with the referee afterwards and just get their perspective on our team and and what they were like to referee was there, you know, was there lots of back chat? Hopefully not. Um, what what was the temperament of the players? You know, if there were any calls that we felt that they got wrong during the game, if you can have a civilized conversation over a drink and just say, hey, you know, I'd love to get your perspective on that call. You know, that helps that helps the referee because you can be like, well, this is the way I saw it, and totally respect your decision. But you know, this, that's I I felt like it was maybe the wrong decision because of this, and the referee can say. 
well, no, I, I viewed it this way. And it just helps gain clarity and you're actually able to build that connection with the referee. Um, so next time you have them, you know, it's, it's less of a us first them and it's more of a, you know, those, those guys are good guys that, you know, I can have a beer with them after the game. And I know there's not going to be a lot of judgment. You know, I, this is my personal perspective when I coach as well as, particularly in rugby, you know, rugby is such a subjective sport that if you're blaming the referee for a loss or something bad that's happened, I think you're not look, you're not truly looking at what's gone wrong because every almost every decision in rugby can go either way, particularly at the breakdown. Um, so if yeah, if you if you're hung up on a refereeing decision, I would say you're not looking at the whole game and uh, the other mistakes or things that went wrong that your team did that you could actually control and rectify. Um, but yeah, sorry, I'm rambling a bit now. But short answer is yeah, <laughs> definitely. I think there's there's a lot more space to to work with referees rather than to keep them fully isolated. And I know there's a lot of sports like I can only speak. Um, with my rugby coaching head on, but North Harbour Rugby does a pretty good job at trying to get more referees and coaches linked together. And so I'm, I'm sure there's other associations and regions around the country who are doing the same thing, who've identified that gap, as you say, and are trying to rectify it. Now, in, in rugby, there is a rugby asso- there is a, um, a, a referees association, which is kind of which with, within each of the kind of unions. In volleyball, do you have the same sort of thing, or is it more or is, is is it more integrated than that? Being a I suppose a, a smaller administrative size sport. Um, the rugby, or, or 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 do you have a, a referees or whatever you call them? Um, geez, so I've only done six and in, five interviews about with, with volleyball people, and I've, I don't know what the the officials are called in volleyball. Um, <laughs> it shows you how we don't normally talk about it. But yeah, how, how that's a good point. How are they no, we, the, um, done? We have uh, we have two part time referee development managers. Mm-hmm. So one one based in the South Island, one based in the North Island. So they take the lead. They work with um, one of our. They work with Tim Cleaver, who's also a volleyball New Zealand employee, um, to kind of look after the whole refereeing space within volleyball. So they they run all the development. Um, so you know, if you want to become a, a national referee or a regional referee, you'd go through those two positions. Um, in terms of a, an actual kind of association, it's something we don't have. As far as I could, again, I could be wrong. So please, if anybody's listening and knows that this is incorrect, uh, let me know. But no, we don't have kind of an, an association at this point. But it's something that, again, like I said, we've looked and we're looking into that referee space and know that we can do more there. So that could be something that that comes up in the next kind of six to twelve months. So, folks, I guess the, the interesting. Sorry, on that though, the interesting thing that I've learned coming into volleyball is that unless unless you're playing at the very highest level, um, you you have to learn to be a referee. So at at national club champs or at New Zealand secondary schools, you referee the game after you. So I'm I'm a player, I'm you know, I play for uh, you know XYZ club and we play at six o'clock. I know that my team is refereeing at eight o'clock after our game is finished. So I think that's a really cool um, model. Um, I'm sure that the players at times get a little bit frustrated because they just want to be able to go home or or be able to put their feet up and properly relax after their game, but they know they've got a referee. But it it helps humanise the referees. You know, there's a lot more empathy there because you know that you have to do that role later. So there's a lot less potential conflict there because you, you know how difficult the job is. Um, and then the other thing is it, it makes sure that the players know the rules really well because you've got to actually understand some of the nuance of the rules and the laws of the game because you have to referee it. And that starts right from year 10 and year 11 at, at secondary school. You you know that you have to learn to be a referee because at every tournament your your team has to referee the game after you. So it's quite a cool little system that doesn't always happen in other sports um, <clears throat> that I think yeah just helps make 
that refereeing role a little, a little bit easier maybe in volleyball. Yeah, we used to do, have to do something similar in hockey, except we used to, um, there, there would be, uh, as you say, semi-pro semi ref, um, uh, referees who would basically say, look, if, if you would like me to referee for, to, to, so you guys can go to the pub, you can and pay me. And basically, yeah, we we and our, our subs would go towards actually paying somebody else to have to do the refereeing for us. Um, yeah. The which is, is the other way it works. But so so actually, so you say at, at, at secondary school level, you've got secondary school, uh, you've got kids refereeing the games rather than it's not adults and coaches that are refereeing them. So it's it's peer it's um it's peer refereeing. Mm. Oh wow. Yep. So that's that, that that's a very cool way of doing it. Uh, and as you say, it gets people to be a it humanizes the. Referees, be it means everyone everyone knows the rules, mm. or if you or if you're talking about rugby, the laws, um, because yeah. we're, we're not uh, we're not full of ourselves or anything in rugby. Um, the um, uh, so okay, that's, that's a really interesting different way of doing it. But I guess also that that also I mean, we're talking about volleyball here. We're talking about the, the the fifth largest secondary school sport in the country, and they have two people covering the entire country for refereeing. I think about all those sports beneath that level, folks. As to how how that um, uh, as, to, as to how much how little support those referees, umpires, judges, whatever you want to call them, are getting, because the sport just doesn't have the funding to to support them that much, um, and be a bit more understanding next time, perhaps when you're on the sideline. Um, with those, uh, with yes, those definitely. And after the game. Um, so yeah, so two years in Dublin, uh, um, and I guess again, director of sport, again a multitude of sports you're doing there. Uh, did you did you learn a bit about GAA, or was it, uh, or did you stick to your rugby swimming? Career? No, I, I learned I, the school I was at was a, a Protestant school, um, ah, okay. so so very yeah, the sports that we played there were very similar to the sports that everyone would know here. Um, so no GAA at the school, unfortunately, but but through you know through through interacting with colleagues um, and and meeting friends and that sort of stuff, definitely started to understand the GAA space and went to a couple of games at Croke Park, which was pretty pretty spectacular. Went to a um, an All Ireland semi final between Limerick and Cork, uh, which was yeah just unreal. Um, for, for and, you know, football or hurling? Uh, that was hurling. Yeah, that was hurling, and and real really big comeback. I think Limerick. Yeah, Limerick. Came, it was a year Limerick won, so they went on to win the final, and they were down. They were down by quite a lot with about five minutes to go, and massive comeback to win that semi final. So the atmosphere was yeah pretty spectacular. Um, it's really hard to to re relay how passionate. Uh, the Irish are around, around the GAA and the sport over there. It's I can't remember the exact number, but it's a crazy high percentage of the population are members of GAA clubs. Like if you're if you're not a member of your local GAA club, then it, there's something wrong with you. Almost it's um, it's a sport that the whole country gets behind. It's almost like New Zealand and rugby, but I would say probably it's it's bigger and, and more passionate than that. So it's a pretty it's a pretty special sport for them. Hey, as, as, as far as a spectator sports go it's probably the biggest spectator um, amateur spectator sport in the world i mean they oh, croke yeah, park so. is getting up to 70 80 thousand seater um, yeah. and they fill it um four games yeah. it is and, and all the people all the players on the pitch are all amateurs um, yeah. it's like the old rugby days where i mean they are fanatical about it being amateur as well um mm. uh, overly so perhaps some would say mm. um mm. And for those of you that haven't seen hurling think field hockey played 3D, where you just hit the ball in the air, um, is essentially what it is, and all you're allowed is a helmet. There's no other pads. Um, even the goalkeeper isn't padded up like a hockey goalkeeper is. So, yeah, um, crazy sport, but um, 
Uh, but yeah, uh, crazy people playing it. Uh, wonderfully <laughs> crazy. Um, before we just before we finally get on to your, your volleyball role, which sort of which what you 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 came back to in here in New Zealand, um, you've been doing some coach mentoring um, as well for for the past five years as a side a side a side hustle by the looks of things. Um, saying you're working with um, so so you're working with the coaches or you're working with players and, and coaching which, which yeah no with uh, with coaches with coaches yeah yeah so um this is kind of yeah it's a bit of a, a side hustle um but it, but like I said like coach development is something I'm I'm really passionate about um and I think uh, like you mentioned before a lot of grassroots coaches um time is an issue you know so so you they say they they work nine to five and then they've got say two trainings a week and, and a game on Saturday or whatever, it's kind of like where's, where's the time to actually commit to learning and developing and growing in that role as a coach. So um, done a bit of work with a few different organisations and getting alongside their coaches, so kind of one-on-one mentoring and support while they're coaching. Um, and there's there's a couple of strengths to that. One is that you're not asking for more time. Um, and the second is that anything that you do with that coach is specific and relevant to them. So, if, you know, if you were coaching the local cricket team, I'd, I'd get alongside you while you're coaching them, have a look at what you're doing, you know, throw, bounce a few ideas off you um, and be like, hey, you know, have you thought about restructuring that training to to get more people involved? Or I noticed that little Jimmy over there isn't really engaging too much today. Do you have any idea why that is? So just kind of like things that might pop up throughout the session mm-hmm. um, and then we'd have a coffee or a beer or something after and, and just have a chat around kind of what it was that I saw and a couple of ideas or tweaks that might make that that run a little bit more smoother. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, a really kind of simple way of explaining what some of that work is. Um, and if you can, the idea, the idea would be creating a long-term relationship with a coach so you can actually get a better understanding of what it is they're trying to grow and improve in. With, you know, if I, if you came and watched me coach, I'd say, look, I really want to improve um, <clears throat> the questions that I ask and being able to ask some better questions of my players to make sure that they're understanding why as well as what. Um, so you could then work with me over three to six months and really help me hone and develop those skills. Um, so it's it's development, but it's happening in, in the moment and it's really relevant and specific to each each coach. So, Yeah. Talking, talking of being uh, of coaches being time poor, uh, especially at the grassroots level, is is there work that that you're doing or volleyball are doing about putting together? I was going to say, not really, yeah. I mean, guess like lesson plans or coaching plans uh, that they can sort of pick up as uh, and and have a framework for. Or have like okay, uh, if you're starting a team from scratch, here is your first ten weeks of coaching um, mm. sessions. Is, is, is it, do, do you have those sort of packs or available online or can they be bought? It's a really interesting question. Um, so this is uh, <laughs> probably going to sound really really nerdy here because this is kind of it's a, it's something that I'm I'm really interested in is this kind of this this question I suppose is um, worry, short, short answer. This, is, this, this, this is an hour long podcast. There's no short <laughs> answers. This is a this is a, this is for the this is for the sports nerds. So please, totally nerdy. Right. Good. Okay. Um, short answer is we're in the process of developing some of those resources at the moment. Um, so yes, yes is the short answer, but I, I guess the more nuanced answer is if you think about anybody learning something, you know, they, they, they'll move from not, if they're starting completely as a novice and they move through to becoming an expert, 
what what um and this has come from a bit of work that I've been involved with with Sport New Zealand. So this is Sport New Zealand kind of leading this conversation as well. Is um, when you're at the novice end, you want rules. You want rules to follow. You know, like you want the black and white. Like this is how you do this. So if I put my coaching hat on, if if I'm completely new to volleyball and my 11 year old wants to play and and I get kind of my arm twisted into becoming the coach, then that's what the, those resources are perfect for them. You know, here's here's a 10 week module you know this is you know week one covers serving week two covers passing week three covers setting and they can go okay great like this this gives me a bit of confidence like i feel a bit a bit easier about going out to coach um but what the question i think is really interesting to ask is how do we how can we fast track some of that development so that we can start to transition those coaches from not always wanting the answer to understanding like maybe there isn't just one answer to doing something and how can I understand the context a little bit more and realize that um, if if I'm told this is how to coach this particular skill that they can go well actually what if there's a better way to coach that skill or how can I how can I take that particular idea and extend on it and make it a little bit better so I think that's that's where um, at Volleyball New Zealand we're starting to think from a from a coaching perspective is how, yeah, how can we almost fast track the development so that when we get somebody as an, in as a novice they start to understand and can start to grow their learning and, and their own kind of view of themselves as a coach to go, I realized that when I started, these are the black and white, these are the answers, this is the rules, this is the recipe to follow, but it's not always as easy as that. And um, depending on, you know, I've got 12 people in a volleyball team and they're all a little bit different and they're all going to respond differently to things. So I need to start to understand how to interact and engage with each of the individuals in my team. Um, and, so, so yeah, uh, so those packs, I, like I say, I'm getting a bit nerdy here, but those packs and those 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 um, templates and those examples, I think are, are great, but we also need to challenge our coaches within those to go like, you know, here's a session on how you can teach setting, but we're challenging them to think, well, what could you do to make it better? Or how, what could you do to make it harder? If all the kids in your team are nailing this and it's really easy for them, how could you progress it to make it a little bit harder? Um, so so we're starting to get the coaches to think a little bit um, critically or, or open, open, trying to open their minds a little bit so that they, they're not always reliant on those resources and those templates. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, now, obviously, there's, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a resource issue across all sports, um, let's be honest. Um, we've already talked about it on the, on the refereeing side, but the similar thing will, have, will, will, will be on the, on the coaching side. You don't have as many people to help coaches as you would like. Um, and so recorded resources um, are, are going to be needed to trigger some of those thought patterns. Yep. Uh, so obviously we, there's, there's the initially when, when I'm talking about this pack, also, uh, I think everyone will be thinking, oh, Paul's talking about a, a written pack of here's a, here's, here's, a, here's, here's a template that shows like a, a picture of the picture of, the, of a court and cross where you put people and here's a description of what you make them do. Now, different, mm -hmm. different people learn in different ways. So some people like written, some people like audio, some people like pictures or videos. Are you, when, when you're talking about expanding and trying to uh, make grassroots coaches think more, are you thinking about putting together a podcast or an audio pack, uh, perhaps a, a YouTube pack set of things people can watch? Or is it, are you just, are you, or are you totally relying on those packs and then one-on-one -on -one could have uh, um, workshop or not one on one but one on many workshop settings uh, or, or are you putting together things like I say podcast series or 
or video series? Um, we. And you thought. Yeah, you I mean, you, you did right. Sorry, you, 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 you're worried about getting nerdy. Here we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a really good point, and and you've hit the nail on the head. Is that there's we need to be able to appeal to different uh, personality types and and different ways that people take on information. So um, we've got a a volleyball New Zealand coaches group um, on Facebook, mm-hmm. which is where we're posting. Um, started kind of kicked into gear a bit more over the lockdown period. So we've we've um, done a few interviews, and they're they're up on there with with um, we had Gilbert Anoka, which was pretty cool. Gilbert's the um, the volleyball New Zealand patron. Um, so we interviewed him. Um, we had Kirk Pittman, who's currently coaching the Australian women's beach volleyball team, and he's a former New Zealand beach volleyball representative. Very very switched on coach. Um, interviewed him. Interviewed Mark Levidu and a couple of others. Um, who are pretty well-known volleyball coaches. So that's an avenue that we're trying to get more just information up for coaches around volleyball. Um, we've got a YouTube channel, so we're, we're posting. Um, there's already some pretty cool resources up, up there um, for coaches around how to coach certain skills and a few other ideas. Um, haven't haven't thought too much around a podcast or audio yet, but I'm sure that's something that will come up um in in time um and then like you said yeah some other kind of written resources or or even potentially little video clips that if you're you know a coach out you know 15 minutes before a session you've got your smartphone and you can just be like oh cool that's a little drill that i can use um tonight when i'm talking to my kids around passing or defense or whatever it might be so you you did right there's you you can't just have a kind of a one-size-fits-all approach to this so we're we're thinking about how we can diversify some of those um, information sources yeah, and we were talking about those packs as well. Also, there needs to be pre-game packs and post-game packs, um, yep. warm-ups and warm-downs, uh, et cetera, about trying to yeah, keeping people, uh, so to, again, injury prevention uh, yep. and, and all of that, that, that kind of thing. Um, so you mentioned, you, you, you touched on it there around the whole COVID lockdown thing. Um, obviously, we're coming out of lockdown now and, and, and back into uh, and um, grassroots uh, trainings now it's happened again. But... During that lockdown period, um, what kind of stuff did you do with your with your crowd in in, uh, in North Harbour about trying to keep them engaged uh, and, uh, and and helping base helping helping well, helping people while they're in, in lockdown? Yeah, I mean, so so we're because we're the national body, we were we were looking after well trying to connect with everybody in New Zealand involved in volleyball, um, and uh, it was you know the beauty of volleyball New Zealand is we're a pretty small organizations so we can be pretty agile and nimble um and adapting to things so so covid was you know a pretty good example of that and we we pretty quickly made the i guess the decision that we wanted to be pretty present in the volleyball community's lives throughout throughout this time um the new zealand secondary schools tournament was scheduled to be the end of march which is our pinnacle event i suppose it's the event that every kid who plays volleyball in the country wants to be at and wants to be part of um, and that's that obviously wasn't able to happen in March, um, which was pretty devastating for a lot of those secondary school kids who, you know, it's potentially the highlight of their year is going to that tournament. Um, so, yeah, we wanted to be really present um, and stay connected with our community through that time. So we we created a concept called Virtual VNZ, um, which was we posted uh, one video every day um, across the, the first six weeks of the lockdown until we went back to level three. Um, and each video had a different theme. Um, so Monday was mental skills, Tuesday was technique, uh, Wednesday was wellness, so wellness Wednesday, Thursday was trivia, and Friday was fitness. So every day, 
there was a little like two or three minute clip that we posted online um, along one of those themes. And they, they range, most of them were, were targeted towards our participants. So, you know, the people who play the sport, um, but we also did a little bit targeting coaches as well. Um, and it was just a, yeah, like I said, a two, three minute clip just to keep people engaged in volleyball, thinking about the game um, and thinking about the sport. Um, so that was, that was pretty well received by our community, I think. Um, and then the other thing we've really tried to work hard on is to engage with our regional associations. So we've had pretty frequent Zoom calls uh, with all the 14 associations from around the country and just keeping them, um, I guess, in the loop and, and also trying to get some some cross, some sharing of ideas around ideas that um, that we could implement when we're coming out of, of, of lockdown and back into level two and level one, but just trying to yeah, engage with our regional associations and, and keep them in the loop around um, what the different levels mean for volleyball, um, helping them if there were um, any, any kind of financial trouble around accessing the the wage subsidy or um, the community resilience fund that Sport New Zealand put out a few weeks ago. So just those were those were kind of the two pressing concerns that we had um, throughout the last eight weeks or so is engaging with the wider community, but then also supporting and engaging with our regional associations who we work, I guess, pretty closely with. Okay, massive apology um, to, to you and also the listeners. I don't know why I got it in my head that you were the volleyball development manager for Auckland, not for not for the whole country. Um, so that's why hence the that's the question of how you were engaging with your people up in North Harbour. Sorry, yes, that's quite all right. All good. Um, so on that, yeah, okay, boom. Um, yeah, questions. Um, so how big is your team, uh, and how we, uh, and obviously how are you reaching out to different schools to grow the sport, or is um, and I get I'm sorry and, and rewind. Volleyball development manager. Now we're talking playing development, not commercial development, aren't we? Here, um, about your well, the beauty <laughs> because so how big is the team? We have five full-time staff in volleyball New Zealand, so we are small. Um, so when you say my role is development, it's kind of like all of the above as to what you just said. It's, it's a little bit of commercial development, but then there's also um, game development, which I'd say would be player development, coach development, referee development, and um, development of our regional associations. So kind of all of that at the moment fits under my role. So yeah, pretty pretty broad, pretty varied. But yeah, okay, so out of the five employees, you've also got the CEO, who I've also interviewed, so go, I'll put a link to, link to that in the link beneath. Yep. Um, you also got, you've got your head coach, um, which is probably one of the five. Yeah, so our, our co- coach, no, our uh, coaches are all volunteers, so. All volunteers, even national coaches? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the team is, there's, there's CEO, as you said, there's myself, and then we've got a um, events slash operations manager, mm-hmm. which is, uh, so she looks after some of the events that I've talked about, New Zealand secondary schools, club champs, that those kind of events. Yep. Um, then we've got a game development manager who, who works pretty closely with me, so I, I manage that role, um, and his role is primarily player and coach development. Um, and then we have... Um, I laugh because we have Tim, who's kind of the jack of all trades. Um, he, he does, he fills a lot of gaps. He's invaluable to us. Um, does it does a lot, of, a lot of on the beach volleyball side of things. Um, helps out with our club um, structure and our zone structure. Um, and then kind of does a little bit of the IT, does the website and some of those kind of digital, more, more digital roles. Um, and then we've got a couple of administrators who, who help out with... Um, uh, Fabi, who's more of the performance 
it helps out with the admin around the performance side of things. So all of our New Zealand teams and the administration that goes on around those roles. Um, and then Renee is kind of more general administration. Okay, so you, so you have someone who, who, who handles the, the high performance side. Your, your, when, you, when we say development, you, you obviously got your game manager there, but you, and your sales who, who, who mainly focus on high, high performance, you mainly, perform, you mainly focus on, on community uh, and, um, and, and those sort of things. So one of the things that, I, that, that, that amazed me uh, when I've been talking to the rugby community is how um, we've got those, obviously, everyone knows that there are 14 minor 10 cup provinces, uh, and yet the media managers for all those provinces don't know each other, and they don't have a weekly or a monthly um, Zoom call or whatever. Is one of the things that's going to come out of this COVID that you're going to have sort of similar roles of those people in those 40 different regions having monthly or weekly catch-ups to share best practice? Um, or have you been, or were you doing that already? Uh, no, it's a really good point. Um, and, and COVID kind of gave us the kick up the bum to get that, to start to get that happening. Um, and, and the associations have been really appreciative, I suppose, and supportive of that. So it is something that will continue. Um, we spoke about it last week. We had a, we had a call with all of them um, just around kind of getting ready for level two from a sports sport perspective. And one of the, one of the things we shared is that we'll catch up with them all monthly going forward um, and that might be uh you know those meetings will have different themes and it might be that you know for one of them it's all the kind of chair people of the boards that we want to engage with and the other another then the next month that might be more of the you know the actual paid staff the development staff in the regions um but it's something that's been like i said really well well responded to by the associations and it's something that we think adds value to to their um space and also just helps us to connect and build those relationships with them um, so yeah, it's definitely something that we've, it's, it's been one of the positives that's come out of the lockdown is the strengthening of the relationships between Volleyball New Zealand and the regions, I think. Okay. Um, and this is sort of turning into sort of my, my, my kind of, I, I, here's, here's, here's my suggestions rather than actually an interview. Um, but I always thought that, that, that all the media people, um, whoever managed all the media, social media accounts should have a monthly call. Everyone, as you say, all the chair people have a monthly call, all the development people have a monthly call. All the, biz, all the business development officers have a monthly call. It's kind of like, okay, how do we do sponsorship? Because let's be honest, at the end of the day, you know, the, the, your, the, the chance of you fighting over national sponsors is pretty slim. You look, you're talking about local people. So a lot of it is kind of the uh, saying I loved, which was compete on the, on the court, collaborate off the court mm-hmm. kind of style of things. But anyway, that's, that, rather than having different things, I would have had, I would suggest, multiple meetings. But anyway... That's my my point of view for you. Um, the so how do you what are your KPIs? How, how when you meet up with um, with the CEO and she does your end of year review, how are you going to know you've done a, a good or a bad job as a development? Is it is it down to playing numbers? Is it down to a uh, number of clubs? Is it down to the finances? What's your as a development manager? How do you get um, rated? It's a good question. I'm going to have to think about <laughs> how I answer that. Um, I think there's there's been a shift in, in the sports sector. So I started at Sport Wanganui in 2010, I think it was. Yep. And the push then around any kind of reporting, KPIs, etc., was all 
they just wanted numbers. How many more people are playing? How many more coaches? How many, how many workshops have you run? How many people have engaged? And there's been a shift over the 10 years to be more focused on the quality rather than the quantity. So how, how do you, you know, if you, if you do something to get more people playing volleyball, how do you know that they've had a quality experience? You know, how do, how do you know that you've engaged those people and they've gone, yep, that was, that was heaps of fun. I'm really satisfied with that experience. And, you know, I might, I, you know, I'll think about joining a volleyball club. So it's, it's shifted from 10 years ago, it just sort of been how many people came. And now at the focus is kind of what was, what was the satisfaction? How well did people engage? What was the, what was, was what you did quality? Um, so that's kind of, I'm prefacing the answer and that's, that's the, that's been the shift over the last 10 years. And I think that's a good thing. Um, again, if I put my coach development hat on, you could have 150 people come to a workshop. Everybody walks out after two hours and no one changes their behavior and they just go back to doing what they always did. Then you could argue what was the point of that workshop in the first place, you know, but, but 10 years ago, it would have been, oh, wow, great. 150 people. Fantastic. So, so I think it's a good thing that that shift is occurring. Um, so to answer your question about, about my role currently, I think there's, a, you know, there's elements in there around, obviously part of my role is commercial development. So, how, you know, how much, how much potential more income have we generated, um, whether that's from sponsorship or, or other bits and pieces. Um, so that's definitely part of it. But then in terms of the wider kind of developing the sport, then I think it's more around... The quality experience. How how can we how can we show that it's been a quality experience for whether that's from a playing perspective, a coaching perspective, a refereeing perspective? I think that's that's a pretty important focus for us. So, um, and the reason, yes, love the, love the answer, even if it's if it's harder to tie down. So, KPIs, folks, can be really really difficult and can drive the wrong behaviour. Um, mm. One of the things we've seen in Australian rugby, for example. Um, is a lot of their develop a lot of their community development managers have been graded on how many people have actually touched a rugby ball this year. Now, does somebody trying out and having one session for half an up for an afternoon at a school count as a rugby player um, and count as participants? Um, whereas, or are you if you've got a million people like that, but it, but and all they do is just play one afternoon a year, are they really rugby players? Are they really part of the sport as opposed to oh actually you know we've got two thousand people who play week in, week out. Which number is better, that million or that 2,000? Um, because those million, as you say. So the, that retention, that churn, um, and being careful how you how you structure SLAs can lead to bad behaviours if you're not careful. And I think that's what, you, what you're pointing out there is that actually, yeah, getting to that, that experience rather than that so just a pure number yep. means you're, gonna, you're actually going to spend your dollars wiser. That's... Um, hmm. yep. Pretty well summarised, yeah, nice. At the, at, at the end of the day. Um, you, you thought you were nerd, nerdy about sport. Don't worry, um, we're, we're, we're happy to nerd now. Um, so on the, uh, as you say, staff of five, pretty low cost, um, but we, but you are an Olympic sport, um, both uh, and a, a Commonwealth sport, so you are trying to get, trying, trying to have enough funding to get people onto world tours uh, to get people into high performance setups, uh, uh, how are you finding uh, sort of providing that um, getting funding for that? Because I mean, obviously the, the high performance funding is all metal based, uh, so you have to look into the sort of commercial sector. Um, 
and how, how uh, yes, yeah, so, so what is the appetite for sponsors to get on board with these Olympic sports? Uh, short answer is I'm not, it's not something that I've thought too much about so far. Um, so I've, I've still, I'm still relatively new in the role. I've been in the role around seven, maybe eight months now. Um, we have, um, we, I guess we're more focused on that, in that grassroots space and how can we, how can we ensure that we can offer volleyball to everybody who wants to experience it and, and targeting sponsors and, and new ideas to that better kind of fits that um mindset i suppose um but having said that it is uh we're we're pretty fortunate um in that the so fivb which is the the international governing body for volleyball uh want to see new zealand succeed and and really challenge australia and the oceania kind of part of the world so they're they're pretty open to supporting us to help in that high performance space so we accessed a little bit of funding from them um, earlier or late last year um, to help um, to go towards preparing our um, our more elite athletes to help them be more successful at, on the world stage. So there's an yeah there is an appetite there from FIVB which is pretty which is good for us definitely um, and it's something that we'll we'll definitely look to grow and 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 consolidate I suppose so it's not just a one off investment um, but yet yeah, so it's it, I suppose I can't answer outside of that just because it's not something I've spent too much time thinking about as of yet. Are the now on that um, like grassroots grassroots side, uh, that's you've you've also got an issue around um, uh, as I'm asking the wrong person because you're not the events person. Um, but I was about to say you've got an issue around uh, venues. Um, because <clears> secondary school event uh, requires I think it's, what, is it sixteen or twenty three courts or twenty to twenty odd courts. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a, it's a, and those have it's a huge tournament. Yeah. Huge tournament. We're talking indoor courts here, um, as, as, as well, rather than the beach volleyball one, which, which again, at least you can find a beach and temporarily build a bunch of courts. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder for um, indoor volleyball or traditional volleyball, whatever the word the right, the right term is. You, you, you can't just sort of spring up courts. Um, yeah, facilities is a challenging space. So the uh, so is is is. Uh, is, is that an area that you're working with, working on as well, or is that, or, or, or is, does facilities development lie under the kind of events person, and, and how you how you're coping with getting councils to, to to build more basketball courts that can be used for volleyball as well? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely part of my role, um, and, and it's it's something that would fit across, you know, my role, Tony Marie's role as the CEO, and um, and Amanda, who is the events person. Um, so it's it's uh, it's kind of a it, it, there's parts under all of our roles in relation to that. Um, sure, yeah. A, again, it's it is a really challenging space, and the investment from councils or whoever it is into building indoor courts is huge as well. So, you know, if basketball was talking to you now, they'd be saying the same thing. Bad, badminton would be saying, you know, it's a it's a challenge for all indoor kind of court space sports, um, where. Whenever, whenever an opportunity comes up, whether it's you know an expression of interest from a council or a school's looking to grow and 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 um, create more courts at their school or whatever, like we're advocating and we're pushing and and whether that's us advocating from a national perspective or working with our regional association to help them advocate at a regional level, you know that's definitely something that we um, are helping out with and wanting to see more of. I, I think to to flip that conversation though a little bit is is we're trying to help. Um, push people to realise that you don't have to play volleyball indoors. 
and you know we're in a, a country that has so much access to beaches and to parks and to grass and green space that you know volleyball is it's a great sport to be played outdoors and if you can if you can flip the mindset to go all we need is maybe even a, just some string between two trees and you know some some shoes or some jumpers to create a bit of an outline you can play volleyball there and that and that's how a lot of people experience volleyball for the first time and and there's something inherently fun and um and down to earth around that and, and that's so you know there's we're, we're trying to really push that you know the grass-based volleyball for a side play with your family and your whanau and and how can you get away from because because the more you go indoor the more that creates a barrier to people around cost as well because if you're playing indoors you know then it's you know there's venue higher on top of all the other costs that go along with 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 playing the sports so if we can get more people outdoors and playing in a really kind of natural environment then that's better for that's better for a lot of people it's more accessible it's cheaper um so that's the that's part of the conversation we're trying to push as well oh you need to chat with the guys who are organizing the um, backyard cricket tournament uh, I've thought about it. It's a great idea, and I was like, "How can we do something similar for volleyball?" Absolutely, yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah that's um, so. Yes, uh, they doing a, they're doing some some fun and yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, backyard volleyball tournament. Oh, this is yes, brilliant idea. Um, yeah. The <laughs> talking um, about that. Um, sorry, I've just kind of got blank as to my next question because I've uh, yeah got got distracted by that idea of of doing that. But the so the so yeah so so pushing for that that you don't need a concrete or, or a smooth concrete floor you can have an, any kind of hard surface yeah you don't want concrete uh, people <laughs> sorry people would be pretty upset if you made them play volleyball on concrete <laughs> okay um sprung floors um how much are you actually coordinating then with because you, as you said badminton basketball uh, probably in, indoor football five side football you all want the same kind of space um so how how often how much do you work with and how much do you talk to them uh, about okay, guys. How do we as a group um, uh, talk to different councils about trying to get more more facilities? Yeah. yeah. So I know, I, and this is where Tony Marie is involved. She's having pretty regular conversations with some of those sports that you mentioned around some of these issues. Um, and then again, at at the regional level, I mean, that's where a lot of this comes to a head. Is it's you know, it's North Harbour Volleyball having to talk to North Harbour Basketball and North Harbour Badminton or Otago Volleyball having to talk to Otago Badminton and Otago Basketball and, like say, whether it's indoor football or whatever it might be. So a lot of the conversations actually happen at, at a regional level because that's where the the, um, the venues are based. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, like, New Zealand, is, New Zealand in general and the sports sector is doing a pretty good job at trying to answer those questions and, and trying to, you know, how can we work together smarter and, and you know, it's a better eliminate costs for people to get more people engaged etc so there are definitely those sort of conversations happening both at a national and a regional level it's it's just not always as easy as going well you know this is a clear clear and obvious uh problem for us to solve let's work out you know there's there's lots of moving parts to those but it is it's definitely something that um that is that conversations are happening with for sure yeah as i talk to more and more sports um it sounds like to, to me that that some um, historically the outdoor sports because they they know that they kind of they, they, they share the same picture patch of grass have perhaps organized or worked together uh, and had to work together for, for, for quite a few years i think that might be starting in the other spaces now um for example uh canoe racing um like armor rowing they're all trying to put mm-hmm. together a paddle.com 
um, or .co.nz website uh, right. to about to, to, again to collaborate between them. And it sounds like that work on the indoor court side, uh, those, those those sports are coming together to work together mm. as well more. I think, mm. I think that it's yeah, it's, it's something that's developing, um, but um, but not quite there yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. This has been a fascinating talk. Um, it has changed halfway through, and I'm sorry about getting the misunderstanding as to as to your role. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, you don't mind that the, the, the listeners understand as well as to why the the interview took a different uh, a different path. Uh, it's all right. Twenty five minutes or so. Um, let people know where they should go to if they want to get involved in volleyball and where all those resources are uh, and the best places to or anything else actually from from volleyball and you see what you want people to know about. Yeah, I mean the. The website, check out the website, volleyballnz.org.nz. Um, and then our social media, we're pretty active on social media, so so get along to Facebook and just search Volleyball New Zealand and, and give that page a like and same on Instagram. Um, any kind of relevant information, whether that's, you know, for coming out of lockdown, what does volleyball look like at level two, et cetera, all that goes out on our social media as well as our website. So so that's those are the three best places to keep it in touch and abreast of everything that happens from a national perspective. Um, and then if you're more interested in a regional perspective, um, again, on our website, there's links to our, you know, the different regional associations across the country um, to, to be able to contact them and get in touch with them if, if you want to get involved in playing or coaching or refereeing or whatever it might be. Hopefully this has inspired at least one or two people to, to get find out more about volleyball anyway. Um, so, yeah, all that information is on our website too. Um, but, yeah, get in touch with our associations if you do want to get get along and play. Um, this is a great sport. and. Um, yeah, we're we're uh, we're pretty keen on getting more people involved, and it's probably the biggest quiet sport in New Zealand, as he says, the fifth largest amongst kids amongst among, amongst schools. It's um, if you go down to the beach, you see people playing touch rugby and volleyball. That's mm. those, those those are sports. It is a it is a massive uh, sport that lots of people are interested in. So, go, folks, do um, if you have a little bit of skill, uh, it, it's a, it, it's a game that you're going to enjoy for a long long time. So mm. do do. Um, do, do check it out. Thank you very much, David, for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, everybody, uh, if you're watching, then please do share this uh, interview. I think it's been a cracker. Um, don't forget to like our Facebook page. Or if you prefer to listen on the go, then we're available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, all your favourite podcatchers. Just search for New Zealand Sports Radio. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.